I'm Tony Lockwood, founder of Thompson Wright Partners, and I'm delighted to welcome you to the latest episode of Inside Track, where I discuss business transformation journeys with leading figures in industry. I'm delighted to welcome back Richard Lucas to the virtual sofa today. Uh, Richard joins me um, on the last episode of Inside Track for 2021. This podcast will focus upon hybrid working. And Richard will share his experience of working and delivering major transformation programs in the hybrid working world and the lessons that he's learned through this that we can apply as we move into 2022. Hi Richard, great to have you back. Uh, I think you're the first person to return um, for a second episode, so uh, congratulations. We've had quite a lot of uh, new subscribers since the, your your sort of uh, first episode. So can you just remind everybody a little bit about your background and your history and, and how you got into the world of change and transformation in the first place? Sure, Tony. Well, thank you, first of all, for uh, ha- you know having me back. I think, uh, as you say, the first one to come back and have this punishment second time around. Um, <laughs> I'm delighted to uh, to be here and talking about um, hybrid working, which uh, is you know something that is very much uh, on people's minds today uh, and has been since the pandemic struck, I guess, back in March 2020 uh, for us in the UK. Um, yeah, just a bit about me. So um, I've been uh, working as a freelance consultant for the last four years, but for the last year, um, I've teamed up with um, a, a business partner and formed uh, a company called Org Design Works. So we help organisations to design better, you know, design themselves better to meet uh, uh, different different strategies and and different different challenges that they they have. So um, organisation design is is you know pretty much what I do, uh, and that morphs into um, you know the sort of intendant and uh, resultant change programs that that come you know come from that. So um, delivering programs of change. Um, in the past, I've I've um, been uh, uh, a consultant with PwC. Um, I was a director in the organisation uh, and change practice and the energy and utilities leadership team for PwC in the UK. Um, and I led the transformation and change team at SEA Partners um, prior to 2017 when I went um, freelance. So uh, that's me. My background functionally um, is HR. I was an HR director in the car industry before I got into into consulting. So uh, interesting. And as you intimated that, um, we were keen to um, uh, do another another show with you um, to really talk about, as you say, something that's very topical at the moment, um, hybrid working, um, and specifically around hybrid working uh, in and around so change and transformation. So how can you uh, continue to drive successful change and transformation within organisations in this sort of new hybrid world that we exist in at the moment? We'll, we'll, we'll probably talk about the fact, is it that new? Um, but um, yeah, it's it just good to um, get a little bit of um, background on on how you have adapted and, and how your views on hybrid working have, uh, have, uh, have developed over the last 12, 18 months or so. Sure. Well, I, I, suppose, um, I suppose, firstly, um, you're right insofar as it's not, not absolutely new. You know, for those of us that inhabit the sort of world that we we work in, you know, hybrid working, working remotely, working from, from an office, has been something that we've been, you know, used to over uh, over our careers. Um, although it's still, you know, something that a relatively small percentage of the working population have the opportunity to do. Right. So, I was looking at the ONS statistics just today about um, about home working. The ONS surveys people every week. 
Um, and it may surprise you to know that um, over the course of 2021, from January up, up until this point, you know, the number of people who only travel to work, uh, who don't work at home, but only travel to work, has increased from 40 to 55%. Those who do both has decreased from 35 to 15%. And those who only work at home over the past year has remained the same around 10 to 15%. If, if you do the maths on a working population of about 30 million people, we are talking about a relatively small, small, percent, small percentage of people. However, you know, it is the world that we, we inhabit. It's in the world of you know, corporate, corporate functions, you know, professional services, financial services, um, knowledge-based industries. Um, so it, it's an important part, part of the workforce. Um, that part of the workforce has had a, quite a bit of experience of working you know sort of flexibly and, and you know remotely um, in the past and what i would say is that scale of it uh, is so much different now mm -hmm. so you know it hit certainly it hit me like a steam train in march it hit everybody else you know it, there was one friday to monday in the middle of march where everything for me was face to face i was running a program in london a team of about six six consultants working with 20 people from the client we were working face-to-face -face workshops high high energy high impact and from one friday to monday we tried to do all of that through screen as the office environment shut down and that was incredibly difficult uh, we weren't prepared for it you know the ways of working that we had as a project team uh, we tried to replicate uh, remotely and it was a big strain you know most people were working far harder far longer trying to you know, trying to uh, uh, you know, trying to get the same amount done that you that you can do face to face um, in you know, in a remote a remote environment, and that was as difficult for for us as it was. But, but sorry, that was even more difficult for our client because they were were looking at this continuity in the same same breath yes. as trying to deliver a change program. So, you know, this was a major event that that we had around that sort of Easter time. Absolutely. So what, what, what key lessons um, did you learn during that period that you um, were, and how did you adapt um, the ways of working to, to ensure that um, that change programme succeeded in the end? I think, um, I think for that change, that particular phase of that, of that programme, um, I think we failed to adapt, um, to be honest with you. Um, you know, we failed to learn um, how to replicate, or you know, if you like, replicate the how to how to work well in a remote in a remote environment. But we didn't use the right tools. Number one. Um, subsequently, I've learned how to use you know online facilitation tools, which are, work very well um, in a remote environment. But we didn't do that, and right. you know, we we ended up just trying to be on screen the whole time, trying to have that, trying to replicate that constant face face-to-face -face contact and it was in, it was incredibly tiring and you know my other clients at the time or clients that I've, I've worked with in the past and in, in my network that I was talking to at the same time also found that it was just the hardest time that they'd ever had um, in work you know working 12 14 hour days constantly on zoom calls constantly sat at their desk not you know not being able to move and you know and so on I think what we've all learned um, is just how much more time it takes to get to, a, to, a, to the same outcome or to a similar outcome in a program of work like you know like we do um you have to build in more time 
you have to build in more time for people to do work in a more asynchronous way. You know, the way of you know, everybody working on something at the same time, um, you have to divide the work up into, into and, and be very much more planful around how, how, work, is, how work is done. Be really clear about what can be done asynchronously, what needs to be done synchronously, what we need to all get together for, what we can do individually. Um, yeah. you know, and I think being more planful and building more time in, I think are the two lessons that I've learned. That, that, you know, for me, kind of manifested in in next two programs that I, I ran with with clients, where that's, that's where we started. You know, we started with that from the outset, uh, and in both of those programs, I didn't meet anybody. I'm, I've still yet to meet them. I still have. I'm still in contact with them, but still yet to meet anybody face to face. Those two those two programs, and again, they were about. Um, organization design behind a different, a different strategy. So looking at a high level strategic organization design that work took maybe twice as long yeah. as it would do if you had the flexibility of doing some of that work face to face. And I think that's the key thing that when you have flexibility and choice, the ability to say this work is better done to face, this work is better done or can be done you know, just as easily remotely. And I think we're in, uh, we're in, we're in the right zone. Yeah, optimize. So you mentioned uh, briefly there that you know you, you started to um, integrate some tools and, and, and utilize some of the online uh, capabilities um, to, 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 to help you um, engage better. What, what, what type of tools? Can you give us some examples? So, um, well, the first one would be, I mean, we, we were using most, right, most of my of the programs that I, that I work with. We work with SharePoint or we work with you know, Microsoft Teams in yeah. terms of file, you know, file, file management for the, or, or Google Docs, right? So the ability to collaborate around certain documents, that's always been there, right? Uh, and again, that didn't really change with the pandemic. It just changed in scale, right? Yeah. Um, other tools that kind of came to the fore, you know, Zoom um, was, you know, is a, is a key the key one and obviously Microsoft Teams has carried on, but you know, we all used all sorts of different different video platforms. Um, Miro is, is 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 a tool that I've learned how to use over the last year. And I think it's very, very effective as, as a way of uh, of engaging people in a um, not not quite in the same way as you can do face-to-face. -face. It allows people to contribute, it allows people to um, think you know and, and record their thoughts and and connect their thoughts together in a working environment which is um, which is very 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 helpful i've not used Miro, so can you just give us a a very brief summary of of its capabilities but i'm i'm by no means an expert if you think about it as something like you know if you have a if you have like you know, a, a big whiteboard or, or a big piece of brown paper on the wall and loads yeah. and loads of post-it notes right you can replicate that in a in a in a virtual environment right and you can connect, connect thinking together you can you can you know allow people to move stuff around if your if your sessions are well designed so they're designed to give people thinking space as well as uh, as well as talking space then you know it can become a great tool and it's something that continues after the event so yeah. it exists in a workspace that people can continue to, to add to contribute to um they can add documents to it they can connect documents together they can do all sorts of things in it right one of the challenges i found is as you say when you're 
driving change and transformation within organizations that there is a often a need to bring people into a space and workshop issues out all too often they as you say the, the natural inclination is to get people co-located to do that and, and mapping out and using whiteboards and brown paper etc is is tools that we've all used um, um so you know it's i'm just interested to to see whether or not they uh, that, that tool gave give us that sort of same type of capability it does except uh, there are uh, limitations uh, as far as i'm concerned so um i would say that you know the workshops that i'm dying through to now the third program that i'm doing in this sort of environment um have to break things up if you're doing thing, things remotely, doing things electronically, even using a tool like Miro, the ability to concentrate for more than two hours at a time is you know, limited. So if you had a six hour workshop and splitting it up over three days of two hours each is by far the better way of, of keeping everybody's attention, keeping everybody's energy level. You know, working through screens does sap your energy. It is you know, difficult, to, difficult to sustain all, you know, all the time and okay. compare that to you know, a face-to-face -face workshop where you know I'm working with a client right now, and tomorrow I'm I'm you know, running a full full day, you know, workshop developing a customer value proposition with them, their, their customer value proposition. I know that at the end of the day we will achieve what we need to achieve. It will have been a will have been a fun time. People would have been engaged. It would have been something that they would have felt you know, has been really really valuable. To replicate that in a in a remote world, I have to split that up over for two or three days, and and I don't think it would have have the same impact. Um, you know, when people are working together face to face, actually, the productivity. I think the productivity when that when that's when the work that you're doing is facilitated by people working together, then doing it face to face is by far the best way. You don't have to be face to face to do to do much of the work that we do, right? So it, it, there, there is a balance there. Yeah, yeah, and and it is. It, it's you know, I, I wish I had a pound for every time I use this uh, this phrase recently, but it, it's one size doesn't fit all. I think what what's been proven over the last eighteen months after that initial oh my god moment, what we're going to do now is that we've all learned to adapt and we've all learned to take on new technology, try different approaches. And some things, as you say, work, some things haven't worked, but you adapt your, your, your style. And I think moving forward, um, we're, we're, we're all in a, a much stronger place now than we were pre-COVID because we can adapt. And, you know, we're, yeah, absolutely, we might say, um, it's far better for us all to be in a room together. But sometimes, because of logistics and stuff, you can't get everybody in a room or you can't get everybody in a room for the next four weeks because of all the commitments. But you can, as you say, get people together, some 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 co-located, but some um, um, in a Zoom room for two to three hour times. So you can actually start to move things forward quicker if you're not tied down to literally having to have everyone co-located at a time. By using these, as you say, using these tools or these approaches, where we've become much more adept and, and much more comfortable with over, over the last 12, 18 months. So I agree with that, Tony. Um, although there, for me, there's a, a, a note of caution. I think there's a note of caution uh, in two two ways. Firstly, um, many organ most organisations now are thinking through 
um, how they develop a you know a hybrid working policy or you know, approach to it for those people in their organizations for whom that is suitable, right? And many organizations are adopting a policy based on time and place. So they're saying, you know, in some cases, they're even asking questions, you know, do you want to work from home or do you want to work in the office? And or do you think two or three days at home or the office is best? Asking people is a great a great thing, but asking the right question is even is even better. And I don't think it's a great, great question, right? Because what they end up what you end up with is try and get a one size fits all, as you say, which for, which for me doesn't, doesn't work. So I do think there's a cautionary note here. The organizations that I think are doing this best are those that ask their team, figure it out based on the work they do and based on the people that are in those teams, right? Because certain work demands or, or what, certain work is done, done better in an office or in a face-to-face environment and certain work can be done better or just as well in a home or a remote environment so getting that right the only people who know which is best are the people doing the work themselves and so big organizations just come out with with their policy on this which is basically to leave for those people who are eligible for those people who can work leave it up to the teams to decide based on what they need to do for the customer internal or external and if you know, if they're in that if they're in the office environment the corporate environment can make those choices is a very enlightened way of going about this and you know contrast this with and i won't name organizations but those organizations who say right you have to be in the office four days a fortnight or you have or everybody's got to come back to the office or even we're shutting all of our offices and everybody's going to be remote you know that might work for some people yeah. it doesn't work for many and, and the second element here is the people doing the work because you can be doing the same job as somebody else in your team, but have very different personal circumstances. Different personal circumstances that mean you can't work from home effectively. Uh, you don't have the capacity to do that. You don't have the capability to do that, the resources to do that. And your motivations may, may, may well be different. You know, we, we, we all have this image, right, of when we're on Zoom calls of, of being one or two people on the call who have lots of screens around them and a really great office environment at home. For many people, that's just not true. It's just not not the case. And so, office for them is a democratizing, you know, thing. It actually helps them to do do their work better, and they get get more out of it. So, yeah. the work, especially yeah. especially at this time of year, where you know it doesn't come light until ten o'clock in the morning. It goes dark at four o'clock in in, in, the, in the UK. Actually, that can be quite a depressing time for lots of people if you if you're in a one bedroom flat on your own. Exactly. And, and, and actually getting out, it's the social part as, uh, that's just as important for many people of going to an office. There is, you know, exactly right. And I think it, it, is, it just adds weight to the phrase that you just used, which is, you know, there, there isn't a one size fits all. Um, I do think organisations have to take this, have to do this expressly and explicitly. And they have to be, they have to give that level of autonomy to their team to make those decisions. That, that's where real engagement and real productivity will will happen uh, not just so that works for change programs just as much as it does for corporate work you know, sort of business as usual generally um you know, the same the same is true so if you're if you're if you're running a change program give that program the opportunity to figure out how it works best most of us most change programs and those people that lead them have worked in a hybrid way for a long time so yeah. we are we, we can we can adapt 
it's interesting though, Richard, because what you're talking about there, um, and there is a term for it, uh, um, a sigma term, and I can't remember what, what exactly what the term is, um, but in factories, um, one of the core principles is allow the line to resolve the issues. And, and, and give them the autonomy to resolve the issues. And what you're, what you're just describing there is exactly the same. Wherever you are in the business, focus up on the outcomes, um, be clear about what, ex, what the expected outcomes are, and then let the line decide the best course of action or the best solution or the best way of working. Absolutely right. Because the, 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 the sort of addendum to this is that worst of all worlds is where you have a, you have a, a policy where people have to spend a certain amount of time either at home uh, or in the office and the work they end up doing in the office they end up on zoom calls the whole day right or or not allowed to go into the office because they've exceeded their, their quota actually there is a really important face-to-face -face meeting that has, has to happen that's that's the best way of doing that so you know organizations need to be very careful that people don't end up doing the wrong kind of work in the wrong you know, in the wrong place and in Second, your experience, yeah. oh, sorry, go on, Richard. No, I was going to say that the, for me, almost an even more important cautionary note here is, uh, is those people who are not able to work from home, how do we give them the same equity of flexibility and autonomy around the work that they do? You know, um, as organization designers, we are designing for not just the 3 million people in the UK who, who can do this, we're designing for the 27 million who who are tied to a place of work you know in healthcare or in schools or in retail or in manufacturing or in you know whatever it might be right um we're designing for those for those people so how do we give those people you know an equivalent voice in in terms of how how their work gets done albeit they are tied to a place of work i think that's something that some organizations are now starting to wake wake up to um we're seeing a little bit more about that in the media, um, but I think it's a really important question. It's not just about, you know, your your office workers, your corporate your corporate staff, your professional staff. It's not just about that. It's about those people who really don't have a choice. How do we give them that, that level of you know autonomy and, and a greater feel that they have have a choice about how they work? Interesting. Interesting. And, and I was going to say, um, in in your discussions with with clients uh, around the, the the future ways of working and, and the future of, of design, um, are you are you finding hesitancy? Are you finding um, uncertainty? Um, you know, what what what's the sort of general vibe out there? Are people welcoming the opportunity to? To, to, to change the ways of, of working or, or are you finding that there is a real sort of resistance to it? I don't think it's one or the other, Tony. I think it's very, you know, it's an organization dependent kind of question. So, you know, there are, there are organizations that, that are, to, you know, to my mind, more enlightened and have more, more, you know, sort of naturally engage their people more in the kind of decisions that, that are taken around around how they how they work, and, and those organisations I think are going to come out on top here. Um, those that hate, you know, thou shalt do this or thou shalt do that. I think we will see, you know, retention <clears throat> lowered in those organisations. I think people will will want to work 
for for employers who 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 give them that sort of freedom and that that sort of autonomy um, much much more so. Um, so I think it is organisation dependent. What I do see now in, in the practice that I'm in, which is designing you know, designing organisations for the future, this is a question that is now is now part of the principles for which we are designing. Right. So if you think about you know, the design principles that you set up for, for an organization. Now, now we are including questions around, you know, hybrid working and, you know, uh, autonomy and, and, you know, voice and flexibility around how, how people work. So many practitioners like me are now bringing thinking into the work we're doing with our clients when we're, when we're designing new organizations. Um, it's, very, it's very important. Yeah, and, and, and it's also on, the, on, on a much more sort of macro level, it's the knock-on effects that individual organizations' decisions are taking, um, how that will play out. Um, I, was, I was talking to someone the other day and, and they were saying that they've been, they've been I've, I've, since, since, um, since the pandemic hit, I've still yet to go down to London. Um, but I was talking to someone the other day that's going down quite frequently and he was saying that actually it's as busy as, ever, as, as it ever was. Um, you know, six months ago it, it was tumbleweed down the high street, but now it's as busy as it ever was. But so I, I wonder whether or not that sort of the change in the dynamic that we're all expecting to happen around city centre working is actually, you know, it, it, it's 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 past now and, and we are all getting back into the city centre working, or whether or not that sort of hybrid, that flexibility, that people will be attracted to those organizations that are aligned to their ideal ways of working. You know, that, that, that macro level, there's going to be some shakeout, I think, within city center working over the next 12, 18 months, two years or so. I think, I think you're right. I think there will be an impact. I don't have a crystal ball on this, but I mean, as you, as you said, I, mean, I, I have been back into London. I've been, you know, commuting um, around the country as well. And you're right. Activity levels are, st are starting to get back to where they might have been before before the pandemic, um, but the trains are not as busy, um, mm. and city centres are not as busy just yet. Even though I said you know, earlier, right, right at the start of this, you know, over two thirds of the working population are are, are travelling uh, yeah. to their their place of work. Um, I think we'll see. Um, do you think the return return to the office? The, Low return to the office that we've seen over the last um, over the last twelve months will slow down any major impact. I mean, there were some risks, weren't there? Um, actually, city centres would be hollowed out, restaurants would close, you know, etc. And you know, uh, that sort of whole economy that's, that sat around um, or being based in an office was under threat, and a lot of people felt that that was under threat. I, I, I certainly feel that that's that's not not as intense as it was um i do think there will be changes i think that i think i hope there will because i hope what this has done is it's said to organizations we have in order to retain people we have to give them a sense of more 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 autonomy more flexibility and more choice how and where they work where they have that choice and for the rest of the organization we have to figure out how we do that for them as well whilst they are still tied to the workplace so i think uh, i think we will see that debate continue um, over the next years. Thank you very much, Richard. That was a perfect summary. And, it's a pleasure, uh, thanks, no thanks for Thank your you. time. Thank you for having me. Great.
Thank you, Richard. That was a great session. Um, as we move into 2022, I believe the um, hybrid working model will become ever more prevalent um, for both operational and transformational roles. So it was a great opportunity for us to um, review your thoughts and thinking and lessons that you've learned over the last 12 months. Thank you very much for your time. As I said earlier, this is the last episode for 2021. After a short break for Christmas and New Year, we will be back in 2022, where we will again share the experience of other leaders within Change and Transformation. If you believe that 2022 is the year for you to pivot into the world of consulting, um, we've developed a programme that is especially tailored for those making that transition from project to project lifestyle into one of building and scaling a consulting business. If you're interested in learning more and understanding the core elements of the programme, um, try out our scorecard. Uh, the link is in the show notes, um, but it's a great way for you to identify the areas where you are particularly strong and would benefit from the consulting lifestyle whilst also highlighting those areas where maybe more development is required. Um, Skullkind is completely free, no obligation, so please do try it out. And for those that haven't already joined the Transformation Leaders Hub, check that out over Christmas as well. With that, have a great Christmas and um, enjoy the festivities, whatever you're doing. And I look forward to seeing you again in 2022. Thank you very much. The Transformation Leaders Hub is going from strength to strength. So if you haven't already, go and check it out, www.thetransformationleadershub.com. With that, once again, Jane, thank you very much. And I look forward to seeing you in the next episode.